A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact? You can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Congratulations are in order. Should I Quit has been releasing for a year. And one of the themes that we have noticed over the course of the season is that many of our guests have underlying anxieties about the relationships to work in their careers. So this week, we're spending some time talking about that with the incredible journalist and culture critic Anne Helen Peterson. Anne is the host of the recently concluded podcast, Work Appropriate, where she gave practical advice for workplace problems to listener-submitted questions. Even though the podcast is not releasing new episodes, it is a treasure trove for any work problem that you are having. She writes an immensely popular newsletter called Culture Study and is the writer of four books, including Can't Even, How Millennials Became the Burnout Generation, and her most recent, Out of Office, The Big Problem and Bigger Promise of Working from Home. We're excited to have Anne on the show to share some of her wisdom about work, culture, and our constant drive to improve ourselves. I'm Vanessa Zoltan, and this is Should I Quit? Hi, Anne. Hi, I'm so happy to be here. I am a big fan. The most frustrating thing about you in my life is that I obviously subscribe to your newsletter, but I'd say like three or four people forward me your newsletter (laughs) every time you send one out being like, I think you're going to really like this. And I'm like, yes, I already subscribe. Thank you. Oh, that's like when your parents keep sending you the lead article in the New York Times. (laughs) Did you see this? I got that. (laughs) Yeah. So you talk about this a lot in culture study and, you know, you've had a podcast about working and we have a lot of listeners who come onto our show asking us questions about 
their jobs, about what they should quit about their jobs, whether Mm. they should quit their jobs. And I'm wondering if you have a theory on what a healthy relationship to work is. Like Mm -hmm. in a perfect world, how should we feel about our jobs? I think that you should not loathe your job. Yes. I think this is the baseline that sometimes we forget, right? Is that like you should not wake up dreading your job. Yeah. And I think that no matter what your work is, whether it's trimming trees, picking up the garbage, typing on your computer all day, like doing Excel spreadsheets, automating them, like whatever it is, you should feel like you are doing work that is important in some capacity, right? It makes our society run. You know what I mean? Like all of these things are important and there are ways to make sure that like all of the jobs, no matter what the job is, is a job where you don't feel like shit all the time. Yeah. I think that sometimes we want like this grand theory of how we should feel about work when the reality is that like often a lot of us kind of oscillate in like feeling passionate and not as passionate about jobs. Like I really feel like I get in seasons of investment where I'm like, I'm thinking about my job. I have a lot of ideas. And then times when I'm like, I'm kind of wading through it right now. Yeah. So I guess that's my my unified theory is that it is it's a changeable thing, but mm-hmm. that we don't have to feel like shit about it. And that's I see a lot of people who come up with stories about why it's OK that they feel like shit in their jobs. Yeah. And we oftentimes need someone like you or like me to just say, like, no, it's not OK. It's not how it has to be. Right. I was giving a talk last week at Penn State and I was talking to this kid who's fourth year undergrad applying to med school and just took the MCAT. And he was like, that was the hardest, worst thing of my life. And I know that med school is ahead of me. And he was like, you hate suffering. What do I do? And I was like, I don't know what to tell you. (laughs) Because, right, like he has, depending on his specialty, four to eight more years of like suffering. Mm -hmm. And I'm wondering what you think about that, because it stumped me. I was like, yes, this sounds horrible and miserable. But you will be a doctor. Mm-hmm. And I think that sometimes it's hard to disarticulate really hard work from suffering. Yeah. And I think sometimes the the stuff that we're doing and the stuff that this student will do, some of it is essentially hazing and doesn't need to be as hard as it is, right? right. And continues the way that it does because people in the field are like, well, I did it this way, so we should continue to do it this way. Right. That we should change. And then some of it's just hard work. Some of it is like, I have to really be absorbed by this work utterly and fully. And this is just a season of my life as I prepare to have a career in this. But yeah, it's going to like suck a lot of other things out of my life too. And like when I think about the really difficult parts of my grad school experience, You know, when I was studying for my comprehensive exams, I was so immersed in, like, that was my world. I felt so prepared. And then actually taking my exams, it was an incredibly cathartic high. Mm -hmm. And so for me, it's the suffering of, like, when you're climbing a really steep mountain. Yeah. Or, like, the mile 20 in a marathon. It is the suffering that you have to go through in order to do the thing, the hard thing that you want to do. 
Right. You know? And the that you want to do is what matters, right? Yeah. If somebody is pressuring you into running the marathon, then mile 20 is just hazing or torture or yes. social pressure or, right? But if you're yeah. like, no, this is going to mean a lot to me. Well, and having permission structure, too, to it, when you feel like, I really don't want to do this anymore, that you don't need to do this anymore. Right. And I think sometimes people finish school or training or whatever it is out of some fear of looking like a failure instead of looking like an empowered person who saw, you know, like I have a friend who always jokes about the like 50,000 in student loan debt she has from a two thirds of the way finished master's degree in international policy. Yeah. And I'm like, you know, that was you. It was an expensive you figuring something out. Yeah. But it was you figuring out that that's not what you wanted to be. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. And separating out the difference between a regret of like a mistake that you made and something that you wouldn't necessarily do again. Yeah. They're not the same. That doesn't mean you messed up. Now you know and you're not going to do that again. Right. Because you know more. (laughs) Well, even just accounting for like how things that we maybe wouldn't do again or that we wish our parents wouldn't have done or that maybe we would have not done if we were in our parents' place, like... That that's nonetheless what made us who we are. And I obviously I'm not talking about anyone who feels threatened or is bodily unsafe or like things like that. Narrativizing that is like it made me who I am. Like that's not what I'm talking about. Yeah, because there's also grief. It's like I could have become who I am in more fun ways. Yeah, (laughs) right. Yeah. Or I could have been awesome with less oppression from X, Y and Z system. Yeah. It's a fine line, right, to, like, love yourself now and honor what happened to you Mm -hmm. to get you there and to, like, grieve the stuff that you're like, I wish it hadn't had to have happened like that, though. Yeah. Okay. So on your last episode of your podcast, Work Appropriate, you talked about how a lot of guests were calling in just to look for your validation or your permission to leave Mm. and for you to say, yes, this is bad enough, leave. And I know that, you know, you talked about this idea of like, it shouldn't be miserable. You shouldn't dread it. But were there other frameworks that you used when you were talking to someone about whether to quit their job? Mm. My first question is always like, can you afford to? Yeah, 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 yeah. No, and this is something that, like, you know, I talked to Phoebe Gavin several times on the podcast. She's a job coach, so she talks to people about, like, what to do if you're thinking about leaving your industry and all that sort of thing and and how to understand if you can leave. And the thing that I think people get stuck on a lot is, like, I can't afford to. My health insurance is too good, all these sorts of things without holding in their head that you can look for a job while you still have your job. Mm-hmm. Because I am someone who, because of my elder millennial lived through post-recession precarity, like, I cannot have that, oh, I'm just going to quit and see what happens. Like, yeah. no way. <laughs> and so for me, the way that I would always approach a situation would be like, okay, I'm going to look for these these life rafts while I am still on the ship. And on the show, me and my co-hosts, I think we we're always on the same page of like giving those caveats of like, there are other things besides money that would also make a, a change, like a big quit feel untenable. 
But we're here to tell you that if you are in that place, here is what we're seeing from your question. Yeah. And that's the thing, too, is that like some of this is seeing what people aren't saying directly, reading between the lines of like how much hurt, how much resentment, how much anger is there? Because the one thing that I've seen is just like how when you stay in a job that you hate, it corrodes from within. Yeah. This is your one life, right? Like, (laughs) don't waste these years doing something that, like, degrades your spirit. Yeah. Hating something that much, whether you're in a relationship or whether it's a relationship with your job or if it's that you hate the place where you live, if you can make that change, if there's any way to make that change, then I think my advice is to do it. How does it feel to you in those moments where you have had to say to someone— No, I think you're the problem. Your job is fine. (laughs) It's so hard for me when I'm like, what if this is you? Mm -hmm. You know, the easiest time to do it was we had a, a bunch of questions that we grouped together where it was white people who were the problem. And they were the problem about like, I'm anxious about this DEI initiative, or I'm anxious about the future success of my white son. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I'm not. (laughs) Next question. And, and, you know, we had on, as my co-host for that episode, a writer and activist who I really admire named Garrett Bucks. And He's a white person because he thinks, like, when white people are the problem, like, white people need to call shit on white people, right? Yeah. And he did a really good job of saying, like, here's the structure of your anxiety about what's happening in the workplace. I see it. And I have to tell you that it's wrong. (laughs) You know, like, it's a gentle, like, you're the problem. You know, the other times, too, were when people had a lot of power and they didn't recognize their power. Yes. Yeah. Or people who are sometimes the problem is that they're too nice. Mm. And the advice that we give would be, you know, and this was facilitated by one of my favorite co-hosts, Melissa Nightingale, who's like a management consultant kind of. That sounds like a bad way of describing a person. She's amazing. What she does is very good. I would say something like, well, she can't fire this person. Right. And Melissa would be like, why not? Yeah. Sometimes the problem is that you won't fire someone and you are making life miserable for your entire team because you don't want to fire someone because firing someone is often hard. It's so hard. (laughs) It's so hard. Okay, so we've been talking specifically, but you're also someone who like studies culture in broader ways. I am wondering what your thoughts are on our relationships to online life and social media. Mm. In this moment, we're all working from home. Many of our connections are only online. The reason I'm asking this is because we have had several people come on our shows wanting to quit, like, either specific kinds of Instagram. We've had someone wondering about quitting posting their children on Instagram, quitting mom Instagram, quitting, like, consumptive Instagram. We've had people want to quit Twitter or want to quit Zillowing. And yet also, like, social media is social, and it's so much of our connections. And my shtick on this is always, like, what if you did less effectively? Mm -hmm. But just thoughts. That's a question, right? Thoughts. So what if you did less is great advice. And 
I think that it would work if the social media platforms themselves were not engineered to make us dopamine addicted. And yeah, absolutely. Right. You know, it's like the movie theater popcorn that I had on Saturday that like I didn't want more, but I did want more. You're like, oh, I feel kind of nauseous. Oh, it's because I've been scrolling TikTok for an hour. Right. And so I think that that is why people often have to take a cold turkey approach in some capacity. I will say that I used to be a huge Twitter user. And I have to say, like, I've been reflecting on this as many of my peers have gone over to Blue Sky or Threads or that sort of thing. And part of me is like, oh, I should, I should, maybe I should do Threads, whatever. But I'm like, I've gotten so much of my day back. Yeah. And I remember hearing people talk about this, that they got time back when they quit a platform. I'm like, oh, must be nice. Right. And I'm like, yeah, it is nice. You know what I'm doing with it? I'm doing hobbies. See, now it just feels like you're bragging. This isn't helpful. (laughs) Well, I just want to say I want to be one of those people proselytizing from the other side that you should do away with things that feel bad. Yeah. But what are your thoughts? Something that I've really noticed and that really surprised me as we started talking to people about quitting is this like purity mindset that people Mm. have where Mm. they're like, well, I need to stop doing Instagram so that I can be a more productive worker. Mm. Yeah, no. (laughs) There has to be something more than just I want to be more productive at work because I want to be more productive at work is a pretty hollow goal. We all have it, but it also is not like it doesn't make you feel better necessarily. We need distractions from work, which is why these things are so popular. (laughs) And so what, like instead for me, it was like, oh, I'm getting more time back into my day and I'm using that time in ways that make me happy in other ways. Yeah, it's like I can actually end my work day half an hour earlier because I wasn't on Twitter. And that means I can start baking, which is what I really want to be doing. And so I'm trading X not the variable, but the platform for baking instead of to get more work done. Yeah. And it also is never that clear. That's the thing. Right. No, of course not. Right. It's just like following your gut. Like, this makes me feel bad. So. Mm -hmm. And it feels very extreme to do things like deleting the app off your phone. But that, to me, like, those things are very useful. Like, if you were, I don't know, a diabetic, but you loved candy corn so much why would you put candy corn in your house all the time like on your desk yeah in an open bowl right you're just like being mean to yourself yeah and part of it too is just stopping the habit right right? like my habit was like here's where my thumb goes yeah on my phone I thought that I would never be able to stop using Twitter the way that I use Twitter and just a week away and it was like that compulsion had started to fade away And like, yeah, I have an addictive personality. So now I'm like really addicted to like, this is so nerdy. I'm like so into dahlias right now, like the the flower. And I'm. Oh, I know. I'm a subscriber. (laughs) So I spend a lot of time on like this site called dahliaaddict.com. I'm so happy for you. (laughs) But yeah, so it's not like I'm not distracted from my work. Dahlia's better than Elon Musk. 100%. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. 
J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. So, Anne, you have this theory that I think you ascribe to someone else, but you're the person who taught it to me, of portals. And I, like you, use like words like seasons. There are seasons to things. I am 41 years old, and so I felt very invited into your description of a portal. Can you tell the people what a portal is? So, I don't know, a few months ago, like back in May, I did a little box on Instagram, like, what should I write about? And this woman, Anya Tyson, who I really admire, you should follow her on Instagram, she wrote in and said this weird portal that women between the ages of 37, 45 are going through. And I was like, oh, interesting. I never had thought of it that way. But yes, absolutely. Like, what is going on with, with me, with a lot of other people that I know, approximately this age? Some of it feels, I think, like it's all happening right now for so many people because the pandemic, like... Stole three years of our lives. Right. So it's almost like everyone's entering kindergarten at once, right? Yeah. Like, <laughs> like you have some some weird stuff going on that makes it feel more resonant than I think it normally would. Because it really is, it's something, the portal is sort of like the transition from maidenhood to crone, but it's more than that. It's leaving behind a, a season of your life where I think for many, but not all women, the primary focus was on getting partnered or getting married and having young children and concentrating on that. So now we're figuring out, okay, what is next? And to explore this idea, I wanted to talk to other smart women that I knew. And so I talked to like a Jungian psychotherapist. I talked to a couple other writers, like a business coach, a woman who's a hedge fund manager, but who also has a podcast that's about having a kid on her own, like single mother by choice. So all sorts of different perspectives. And I mean, I knew that it would resonate with people, but the comment section is like, <laughs> I know a lot of people feeling it. <laughs> and I actually think I went through my portal a while ago. I think it really started when I left academia and then I was in the thick of it when I was going through my burnout. And now I'm kind of like at the tail end of it and feeling really creative. So what, what's your portal? I have two answers for my portal. One is like, there is a book I want to write and I am realizing that like, I will burn shit 
to write this book. <laughs> yeah. And that's the first time in my life. And I'm like, oh, I genuinely care less about the approval of others because, like, I have something to say and I'm, I just feel like I actually have to say it. It's interesting to just, like, yeah. have people push and be like, but what about? And I'm like, yeah, I don't care. And, like, you can't. <laughs> convince me to care you can't right you could try but I really don't think you could convince me and that's so fun like that's the first Uh time that I've been like nope what I have to say is the thing I want to say but the other thing is that one of my mentors who just turned 60 and is one of the loves of my life Stephanie Paulsell she wrote an article about Christine Blasey Ford when she had just testified and some man wrote to her being like you're just mad that nobody wants to fuck you anymore Mm. And mm-hmm. she wrote back, the fact that you don't want to fuck me anymore is the most freeing thought I've ever had. Thank you for pointing this out to me. I went on a walk with her the next day, and I can't even describe it to you. And she was like, walking like tits first. She was just like, <laughs> come on, everyone. Like, she right. felt like she had been given so much time. Back. Like, she had quit Twitter, but what she had quit was, like, men's attention on her body. And yep. she was like, I think this is what it feels like to be a man. Yeah. And it's amazing. <laughs> yes. She was, like, joyous at it. And I yeah. was like, yes, that energy, please. Well, and I think that is absolutely part of it is people say the transition from maidenhood to chrome. But really what it is and, like. To be clear, she's still so hot. Yeah, well, and it's, like, not focusing your worth on sexual object. Right, exactly. Exactly. You get to be more in control instead of trying to make yourself into a passive object of desire. Yep. That is incredibly liberating. Totally. Doesn't it make you so sad that we spent so much time unintentionally doing that? So much time. So much time. Decades. Decades (laughs) of my life. Like 25 years, that is what I was trying to do. And it's similar, I think, to how people feel when they arrive at, like, fat liberation. Right. Like, how much time of my did I waste hating my body? And, like, why? <laughs> For who? <laughs> like, who did that serve? Yeah. It wasn't, like, hating my body put money into a fund that, like, supported a philanthropy or something <laughs> like that. Every time I looked in the mirror and thought, ugh, I saved $10 and it went to my retirement. No. Well, and this is this is the shitty thing about repressive ideologies, right? Is that like they serve no one except for people already with power, right? And this right. is like they serve the status quo. And you're like, oh, you know who I was giving money to with all of that time? Like I was just giving money to like rich white guys. Like Nutrafast, whatever. <laughs> And you are embarking on a new podcast. Can you please tell everybody about it before we let you go? Yeah, it is called the Culture Study Podcast. Super original, but, you know, sometimes you want to be simple. Yeah. And, you know, the the thesis of my newsletter, Culture Study, is like, think more about the culture that surrounds you. And so this is our opportunity to look at parts of culture with a co-host each week and answer reader questions about it. So whether that's, you know, what's going on with Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey. I've got opinions. Like little treat culture. You know what that is? That's like, oh, I just need a little treat just for myself. Yep. Or Paw Patrol. Like, so we're going to go in all sorts of interesting directions with it. Oh, I'm so excited. 
I will not only listen, but no doubt people in my life will send me your episodes and ask whether or not I've listened. <laughs> so I will listen twice. Thank you so much for taking the time to come on. You're an absolute light in the world, and we are grateful for your work. This has been such a pleasure. You've been listening to Should I Quit, our latest season of The Real Question. Our show is funded entirely through our Patreon at patreon.com slash realquestionpod. If you are a regular listener, we would love your support. Another way you can support the show is by leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you are listening. You can also follow us on Instagram and Facebook at realquestionpod. We love to shout out our BFF tier patrons, Molly Reilly, Kristen Hall, Mary Margaret, Becky Boo, Jenny Cruz, Amanda Schramm, and Shannon Sheehan. We are a Not Sorry production. Our executive producer is Caitlin Hoffmeister. We are edited and produced by Ariana Nettleman, and our music is by Nick Bull. We are distributed by Acast. A huge thanks to Anne Helen Peterson for joining us today. Definitely sign up for her newsletter and soon-to-be podcast, Culture Study. Thanks, as always, to our wonderful team, Julia Argy, Nikki Zoltan, Lara Glass, AJ Yaramas, Hannah Rehack, Margaret H. Wilson, Courtney Brown, Natalie Folkerts, Casper Jerkyle, and Stephanie Paulsell. Thanks, everyone, and we'll talk to you next week. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, everybody. I'm dropping into your feed to let you know that starting June 23rd, you are invited to a class called Discovering Your Own Patron Saints, a guided workshop with Natalie Folkerts. In this six-session class, you will explore beloved characters from literature who have jumped off the page and made their way into the moral fabric of your life. The first week of this class, you're going to explore what we mean by patron saints, and then each subsequent week will be devoted to a different value, wonder, imagination, grief, and courage. If you are seeking spiritual guidance outside of the constraints of formal religion, if you are someone who finishes a novel and feels like you have said goodbye to new friends, then this class is for you. Register before the first class on June 23rd by going to notsorryworks.com. That's N-O-T-S-O-R-R-Y-W-O-R-K-S dot com.